that because of you we have reason to sing. That we remember that there was a baby in a manger. That there was a king. And that God, that that didn't just stop after Bethlehem, but that continued. It always was and always will be. And so God, we give you thanks. For it is you, you that we behold. You, God, that we lift up. And so God, I pray that today as we come before you, that we would focus on you, that we would be able to rid ourselves of any distractions, God. We pray that you would help us just as you always have. God, we pray for peace. We know so many that are struggling with sickness, illness, battling conditions of all kinds, God. We lift up specifically Shannon Lewis to you, God. As she's in the hospital, God, we pray for healing. We pray for comfort for her and Jerome and Micah. God, we lift up Patty Beasold, who's watching from home today. But God, we pray for healing for her. Comfort for Neil and her. That you, God, that you, God, would heal her eye. God, we understand that many struggle with grief through this season. They remember loved ones who've been lost, those who have passed away. So God, we ask that you, our Prince of Peace, that you would bring comfort, that you, that you, God, would bring joy out of sadness. God, we thank you for the gift of life and love and hope. We thank you for Christmas. That God, you loved us this much. Thank you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in us and through us this morning. That we might focus our hearts and minds on you and nothing else. May our affections go to you and nowhere else. the songs that we sing, the meditations of our hearts and minds be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. So this is week three of our series called Arrival. Arrival. See, we're in this, ser- this uh, season here of Advent uh, that's leading up to Christmas, the birth of Christ. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but man, this is a totally exciting time of year each and every year. And uh, so, you know, we look forward to celebrating Christ's birth, but we also look forward to Christ coming again, don't we? I mean, as we've said the last two weeks, we're in this in-between time where, where Christ was born, Christ lived, and he, and he died and was resurrected, and he ascended into heaven, and yet we point, we look forward to when Christ will come back. We wait with this anticipation of his coming again. We hold on to that promise that God will return. And so last week, we looked at, uh, we looked at Luke chapter 1. We talked about Gabriel, the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. And, uh, and so he tells her, he says, Do not be afraid, for she has found favor with God. She's going to conceive and give birth to a son, and she is to call him Jesus. He says, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. That is, that is, that is truly amazing. But, but see, Mary is just another example of God doing what God does. He uses insignificant people in truly significant ways. God chose Mary for a very special purpose. And although it's going to be challenging, Mary, although it will be difficult, it will be trying, you will be tested in so many ways, Mary, you don't have to be afraid because God is going to be with you and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. See, the same thing is true of us right? We don't have to fear what God calls us to. We don't have to fear God's plans and purposes because the one who calls us will be with us. He will be our strength and will walk with us every step of the way. Nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing is impossible. Our God specializes, in fact, in making the impossible possible. The impossible possible. Today, Today, we're going to go to the Christmas passage, the Christmas passage. I mean, if people say they're going to read the Christmas story, they usually go here. It's found in Luke chapter 2. That uh, This is the passage they're referring to. If you grew up in church, you have heard this a thousand times. And I'm going to ask that this morning, I'm going to ask that we look at it again with fresh eyes. See, one of the things that, that I like to do with my family that we do in our house is that we like to drive around and look at Christmas lights. Anybody here like to drive around and look at Christmas lights? Great. Not the only one. That's fantastic. Awesome. So uh, there are some awesome uh, displays out there. There are some awesome displays. Uh, displays are meant to be looked at, right? They are meant to be looked at. And, and sure, sometimes you're in awe, and, and, you're like, and, and yet other times maybe you're like, my eyes, my eyes, you know? Um, you, you, you see what's going on there. And, uh, but I think truly the best ones are the ones where you roll up in the car, right? And you roll down the window, you know, it's not really a crank anymore. It's like, mm, you know, window goes down, you're looking at it, you're like, holy Clark Griswold. 
that is awesome. <laughs> All right? And you're, and you're looking at that. And those are the ones that you keep coming back to. You're like, man, let's hit up that house again. You know, like, and of course, you know, I don't know what they're thinking on the inside. They're like, hey, uh, this is the uh, dispatch. Yeah, we're going to need, we got somebody stalking our house. That's what's happening. But um, we like to drive around. And so my daughter, Claire, she is totally into Christmas. And uh, we see so many houses, so many lights. And she just kind of identifies what she sees. She points out everything that as we go along. She's like, Rudolph. Minion, Nativity, Bumble. Uh, you, you guys remember Bumble from, from Rudolph, right? The, the abominable snow monster. Um, and uh, that, that's actually her favorite. She wants to count how many Bumbles she can find. But I find myself doing the same thing, you know, when, when, even when she's not in the car. Uh, I, I don't know, like, if any of you guys are like that, but, you know, you're driving along, you see cows. Cows. Uh, you know, it's like I'm on autopilot. And... Uh, Yet the other day, I'm in my house, and I'm walking along, and I, I see the nativity, and, and I start to go, no, nah, no, nah, like, nah, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say nativity, right? It's, it's, just, it's just natural, right? And, and, and so I, I, I actually, I stop, wait, I, I walk past, wait, wait, what is, what is that? Like I stop, and I look at the nativity. I take a closer look, and I see this. That's what I see. That's Mary, Joseph, the baby. And Pluto, Pluto, the trusty sidekick, the noble steed. How long has Pluto been in the nativity? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I think a lot of times, the, you know, celebrating Christmas becomes just so commonplace for us. It's so status quo, right? The Christmas season can be so busy with so much to do, so many lists to check off, so many family gatherings to go to, so many concerts and class parties, so many gifts to wrap, so many traditions to keep that many times I know I find myself slipping in and out of consciousness as I go through this season. I mean, seriously, I think sometimes we can become so numb so numb to this incredible story, the wonderful truth, the good news and I know that that's not what God wants for you and for me. That's not what God wants for us. And so even though we've heard the story before, we've heard this before, we know what's going to happen, we understand what's going on, I'm going to ask that we read it again today and that we take a closer look, that we actually stop for a second and, and look at this again, that we look again with fresh eyes, that we look again for the first time and be amazed. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask that you turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, go to Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 1 today. And so if you have your smartphone, feel free to use uh, the YouVersion Bible app. All of the scripture and notes for today can be found under the events tab. Just go to uh, uh, the YouVersion Bible app there and you'll find all of that. Uh, but we're going to go to Luke uh, chapter 2 verse 1 and we're going to go through verse 7. So please follow along as I read the word of God. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. 
She wrapped him in clothes, cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Thanks be to God for his word. See, in those days, Caesar Augustus issues a decree. It's as simple as that. That's how the story begins. Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor of the time. And compared to other rulers, he really wasn't terrible. I know that we may have feelings about him being from Rome and all, but he really wasn't that bad of a guy. After Julius Caesar's death, the Roman Empire was a little bit in turmoil. There were actually three men who vied for power. They were Mark Antony, Lepidus, and Octavian. Octavian was the official heir. He was actually adopted by Julius Caesar. Um, but for decades after uh, Caesar's murder, uh, for decades after that, the Mediterranean world is filled with war and violence. And eventually, Octavian defeats Mark Antony and takes the title of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus. And in a lot of ways, Caesar Augustus was seen as a savior of the world uh, of some sorts here. That he brought about peace. He brought peace having defeated his rivals. He stabilized the world, the political climate at the time, and he bolsters the Roman economy with money from Egypt. Things are going really well. And so Caesar Augustus, he issues a decree, a census will be taken. A census will be taken. Now, now this wasn't merely for record keeping or statistics. This type of census was to be able to efficiently and effectively tax everyone in the Roman Empire. A census like this was taken every 14 years, and it required each and every Jewish male to return to the city of their fathers to record their name, occupation, property, and family. This was not voluntary. You had to do it. Everyone must go. And I'm sure as Caesar Augustus sits in his palace and he makes this decree, he thinks, man, I am exercising supreme will over everyone else. This is the ultimate flexing of the muscle, right? The muscle, as one scholar put it. But we know better, don't we? We know that Caesar isn't, in fact, all that powerful. We know that compared to God, Caesar is just a pawn. And God had promised that a Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Over 400 years earlier, Micah wrote, But you, Bethlehem Ephrath, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See, the time was right. The time had come for a Savior. And God sent Gabriel to visit Mary. Everything is set. The table is set. But wait. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. And Mary is pregnant. I mean, really pregnant. Traveling could be an issue. How does one get a couple from Nazareth to Bethlehem when they might not be inclined to travel? Talk about the providence of God. He has anything and everything at his disposal. 
Caesar, it's time to issue that decree now. It is time to do so. And so it was foretold. Out of you, Bethlehem, though you are small among Judah, out of you will come for me one who is ancient, one who is of old, one whose origins are from long, long, long ago. And so that's how it began. They go to Bethlehem. There are a few things I want us to see today, but the first is that we must remember that God, our God, always keeps his promises. Our God always keeps his promises. He can't not. It's who he is. He is faithful. The Apostle Paul, he tries to get this point across to Timothy in, uh, in, in, when he writes, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Our God keeps his promises. Two weeks ago, I know we talked about the promise of, that God made towards David, the promise that David's line would continue. That in 2 Samuel, you know, not long after David was made king over Israel, the prophet Nathan, he sent to deliver a message from God to David. And so God tells David through this prophet, he says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This was the promise that David, the young shepherd boy, the little shepherd boy from Bethlehem, Jesse's youngest son who delivered lunch to his brothers and ended up slaying Goliath, that David, that David would be great and God would make a name for him. His house and his kingdom would endure forever. His throne would be established forever. But then, as we said, it didn't look like that after David. Sometimes things don't turn out the way we thought they would. Sometimes things don't look how we think they should look. And so after David, after Solomon, things definitely don't look right. Things look very wrong. But see, even when things are terrible, even when things seem terrible and they are terrible, we have to remember that we have a God who is faithful and keeps his promises. The people of God, they were miserable, and the prophet Isaiah says to them, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Wait, what's that? What, what was that name again? Did, did you hear? Did you say Jesse? As in David's dad, Jesse? But see, David hasn't been in power for centuries. Everything is in disarray here. The kingdom is split into two, and the people of God are scattered abroad, living as slaves in exile. What is it that you're saying, Isaiah? Our God keeps his promises. And even though it seemed like David's line, the tree, the great oak that is David, the great oak that is Jesse has been cut down, God is saying from that stump, from that stump, from these roots, from these roots, there will be a shoot, a sapling, new growth. 
The dream isn't dead. The story isn't over. Remember what we said last week? Remember what Gabriel told Mary? Nothing is impossible with God. And so uh, Isaiah says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Tell me more, Isaiah. Tell me more about this. And so Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. He will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. He goes on to say, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leper will lie down with the goat. The calf will and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. A little child will lead them. If you jump down a few verses, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. He hasn't forgotten. He remembers. Our God is going to keep his promise. And so if you actually look at Matthew chapter 1, you find the genealogy of Jesus right there, all the way from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, through Jacob's son Judah. That's why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah, down through Jesse and his boy David, the King of Israel. And all the way at the bottom of that list, you get to Joseph who belonged to the house and line of David and was pledged to be married to Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Our God is faithful and he keeps his promises. The next thing I think we have to see here is that we must recognize the lengths to which our God goes to keep those promises. We must recognize the lengths that our God will go. Verses 6 and 7 of our passage today say, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It all sounds so matter-of-fact. Luke, the guy who's about all of the details, he makes it almost sound normal, so ordinary. And yet nothing about this birth is ordinary. This baby is God. The Word, the eternal Word of God. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on further, and he says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Paul then echoes this in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 16. He says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so God, the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is before all things, and in him all things hold together, this God 
is crammed inside this baby. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This baby in the manger is not just a representation of God. This newborn isn't just a piece of God or some sort of manifestation as some cults and heresies might lead us to believe. No, this is the absolute fullness of God right here in the manger. You can find him in Bethlehem. All of God is in this child, fully God and fully human. I know it's mind-blowing, but we must recognize the lengths to which our God will go. The lengths to which our God will go. The maker of everything would become nothing. As Paul says in Philippians 2, the maker of everything would humble himself to that. He would become nothing for us. It's ridiculous to think that the one who made everything, the one who owns everything, the one who holds everything together would become subject to the very things that he spoke into existence. But that's what he does. It's confusing to think that the one who knit Mary together in her mother's womb is the one who's going to become subject to, reliant on, dependent on her. But that's what Jesus did. He humbles himself and he becomes a helpless babe. Think about it. He withheld nothing. He was willing to give it all. He traded heaven for a stable. He traded a throne for a manger. Think of all that heaven was. To ever even have to see the inside of a stable is a crime. Think of what he came from. This stable was most likely some type of cave. And so we say that the Son of God was born in a cavernous, dark, cold, damp space. He smelled like some mixture of hay and barnyard animals and dung. Newborn cries ring out from a feeding trough that night. Think about that. The King of Kings is going to cry. God is going to cry out into the dark night. He's going to be wrapped in rags. There's no receiving blanket. There's no blanket at all. The hay is going to scratch his back. He's going to be laid in the trough. So they grab the nearest thing. How about some strips of linen? Just wrap it around him. It, it's got to help some, right? Wraps it around him. Strips of linen, the very things that you would dress a corpse. Strips of linen, the author of life, wrapped like a dead person. This isn't right. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. He shouldn't be confined like this. He's outside of space and time, and he's being constrained. He's being constrained like this just to become like the rest of us. And so we got to recognize the links, the links to which our God will go. 
the lengths to which our God went, yet nobody noticed. It was all so ordinary. Probably even less so. A baby born to parents who are living on the streets of Bethlehem. The town is all abuzz, but not about this. How low could our king stoop? And for what? And then it hits us. For what? More like for who? It was for you. And it was for me. We must realize that this was for all of us. And so the last thing I want us to see today is that we must realize that this was all for you. It was all for me. Now, I don't want to make this about us per se. I, I, you're never going to hear me say, well, hey, it's all about me, right? But, but hear me out. You don't find a king in a manger. You don't find a God in a stable. God had nothing to gain. He had nothing to gain. He was God. What else could he possibly need? And yet, we had everything to gain. Isaiah 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The greatest gift of all, God's Son. He would be our wonderful counselor, one who would walk with us through anything. He's distinguished because he's our everlasting father. He's from everlasting to everlasting. The ancient of days. He was there when it was created. He was the one speaking things into existence. He is our mighty God. He is able to overcome anything. He will be victorious in any battle, and yet he is our prince of peace. He is able to calm the fiercest storm and the most restless heart. And all of that, all of that was born that day in Bethlehem. Love himself was born the one with no beginning and no end, the Ancient of Days, was found in a manger so that he might be for you and for me all that we would ever need. Author and pastor Max Lucado says it this way. If God was willing to wrap himself in rags and drink from a mother's breast, then all questions about his love for you are off the table. The moment Mary touched God's face is the moment that God made his case. There is no place he will not go. 
If he's willing to be born in a barnyard, then expect him to be at work anywhere. Bars, bedrooms, boardrooms, and brothels. No place is too common. No person is too hardened. No distance is too far. There is no person he cannot reach. There is no limit to his love. Our God goes to great lengths for you and for me. What does he offer? Himself. He volunteers for a mission that will involve certain death for the sake of you and me. Jesus was born to die for us that we might be saved. And he comes to us in this place here that, meet, that we might be with him in that place. This is the miracle of Christmas. It's so simple and yet completely astounding that our God so loved the world that he sent his son. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you, God, you are glorious, you are mighty. We call you wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That you didn't have to come here, God, but you did. You saw the mess we were in and you came. You knew our condition and you chose. You chose us. All that you are, God, and all that you have, you are everything, and yet you are willing to become nothing. That you even would be willing to give your life for us. God, forgive us for the times that we make that so more complex than it has to be. God, we understand that there are plenty of things to argue about in the world. But surely, God, we can come together. Surely we can come together on the simple fact that you love us. This gift so amazing, this love so astounding. We celebrate you, God. And so, God, I pray that if there are, are those in our life who haven't heard this before, they may have heard something like it, something similar, but they haven't heard this, God. I pray. I pray that you would give us courage, that you would give us boldness this Christmas season.
that we might declare your goodness, that we might declare your love to all those we meet. God, I know that there are many here who are wrestling with things. Those who are online, watching, who are struggling. God, help us to never forget, to always remember that you keep your promises. To recognize the lengths that you will go. To proclaim your love. To realize that you do it for us. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.